We could tie a record today, 80 degrees for early April. Not bad at all. We're having a genuine springtime in Northeast Ohio. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Layla Tassi and Jane Cahoon. You guys going to work outside today? Oh, yeah. I already have been. Yeah, me too. All week I've been sitting in the shade. Although yesterday it was I was having chills. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad, you know, you're semi-okay, though, after your second shot there yesterday, Chris. Yes, thank you very much. I'm, I'm still feeling that feverish thing, but I'm not on my back and I can do what I have to do. And I'm going to be fully protected in two weeks. I can't wait till everybody Woo-hoo! I know is. <laughs> Let's start. What is Congresswoman Marcy Captor's claim against Donald Trump in a lawsuit over the January 6th insurrection in the Capitol? Jane Cahoon, you could look at this and just say, oh, this is more noise about the insurrection, but it's not. It's a significant step that people in Congress are taking to hold the people who caused that insurrection to account. Yes, Marcy Kaptur and others in Congress have joined in on this lawsuit. It was really uh, filed in February by the NAACP against Trump and attorney Rudy Giuliani and the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers over their role in the insurrection. And this obviously temporarily kept Congress from doing its job to record the electoral votes that awarded Joe Biden the presidency. So the lawsuit accuses Trump and the others of violating, this is interesting, the 1871 Ku Klux Klan Act, which was passed to crack down on violence and intimidation against enslaved people who were freed. And it says that Trump colluded with white supremacists to incite this riot. And it also says that Captor and the other Congress people suffered emotional harm during this attack and they were hindered and impeded from doing their official duties and deprived of the right to be free from intimidation and threats while they were, were doing their jobs. You know, there's there's some description in the lawsuit of of what Captor experienced that day. It said she was watching the tally from this house gallery, and she saw law enforcement officers escorting Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence off the floor, and and she heard this loud shouting and banging, and it sounded like logs being pounded against the doors, and she just got more and more worried about her safety, and and then she was uh, eventually escorted down to some sub- basement and they they had to like don gas masks and then they got put in this crowded room where you might remember a few of the congress people ended up getting covid because some of the congress people who were sheltering with them refused to to wear masks captor did not was not among those and then you know trump of course denies that he has he incited this insurrection yeah which is preposterous noted that he was acquitted you know after his yeah, second yeah. impeachment mm-hmm. trial because yeah people like rob portman didn't have the spine to do what was right but but what i really think is is a fascinating strategy is to sue him under the ku klux klan act i mean how appropriate yeah with yeah. that former president it's sad that it takes civil litigation to hold people to account for this there, there was talk after the Republican senators didn't do their duty with this and and didn't convict him in the impeachment that there'd be criminal charges coming from the Justice Department for Donald Trump's incitement of a riot, because that is against the law. But we haven't heard anything about that now in quite some time. Yeah, I I don't recall hearing anything about that recently. You never know. I mean, you never know what they might be 
investigating. But but yeah, this is definitely an aggressive step to try to to hold Trump and these groups, which some of them clearly were white supremacists. So uh, private citizens do the job that the officials that are elected and appointed don't do. Because as of right now, Donald Trump has not been held to account for what he did, even though most of the Republicans in Congress did say at the time that he was accountable. That he bears responsibility, yeah. Right, but then they didn't do their job to follow up and hold him to account. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How big is the broadband expansion that Ohio Governor Mike DeWine announced Wednesday for East Cleveland? Lila Tassi, East Cleveland is probably the poorest city in the state. I don't, there may be some rural areas that, that, are, that are lower on the scale, but th- that is one depressed area. So a lot of people don't have access to the high-speed broadband that serves most of the rest of us. What's changing? Well, so the plan is to initially connect a thousand households, but the the infrastructure will provide for up to two thousand connections. And just to kind of put that into context, as you were saying, this is one of the poorest communities in in the state, and as many as eight thousand households in East Cleveland lack access to the internet. So this is kind of chipping away at that. Priority will be given to families with children in the school system. PCs for People will serve as the internet service provider on the project. They'll distribute modems and bill customers. They'll also provide the the hardware for the expansion, which will include antenna towers that'll be 15 feet tall. They'll charge $15 per month, which should cover the operating and maintenance costs, as well as for an eventual upgrade to 5G technology. And funding for this project, which will cost about $650,000, will come from a whole bunch of sources, including the state and the county and some some corporate sources. We all know that bridging the digital divide is necessary right now to ensure that low-income communities can fully participate in society, right? I mean, especially in an era when working from home is still prevalent in a lot of industries. You have to have access to the internet to compete. It's, it's unfortunate that broadening that connectivity has to be done in such a piecemeal way. This is the latest of several similar projects announced in Northeast Ohio recently, but it's it's a few hundred here, a thousand there. You know, Houston explained to Cleveland.com after the press event Wednesday that he initially turned to private providers for help with this project. But those companies have to feel it's worth the investment in laying the fiber in a particular area. If they aren't going to see a return on their investment, it's, it's not going to happen. So it, it's this is great news for those who will receive it, but it, it would just be so much greater if, if it could be done on a larger scale. One of the most tragic scenes that we've written about came when you were doing the Greater Cleveland Project and you were describing the number of people that would sit outside libraries at night mm. so that they could, in their cars, in the parking lots, so they could play off of the Wi-Fi signals there. And that's how desperate people are to have access to broadband, that they're willing to sit in their cars in any kind of weather just to get the signal. And the faster we get this kind of thing done, Mike DeWine has said he's going to use a good part of the stimulus money that that the state is getting, and it's a lot of money, to expand broadband in places that need it. We're going to have to police him to make sure that doesn't mean rural areas where he has political support and the hell with the cities. You know, that comment you just made about the libraries, it reminds me of conversation I had with Eric Gordon, the CEO of, of CMSD, right before the levy was came up for, for voter approval. 
And he was talking about the digital divide and how hard it was to solve that when the pandemic hit and kids were sent home to, you know, e-learn for the next year. And he said that while they were working on getting the right number of hotspots for students, he got a phone call from a well-meaning corporate type, somebody, you know, big in the community who told Eric Gordon, I have a great idea. Why don't you just put the hotspots on school buses and then just park the buses throughout the city and let kids go to those parking lots and sit there with their computers and 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 feed off of that that connectivity. And Eric Gordon's response was that's because you and I aren't doing that. You and I aren't leaning up against a school bus to to get, you know, in some random parking lot to connect to the internet. We're not going to ask that of our students. And I think that really that speaks to not only the vast need to bridge the digital divide, but also kind of, you know, the, the you know, lack of sensitivity among the, the population at large about how important this this problem is to solve. So especially when we all take it for granted, we've been doing it for so long. You're listening to this week in the CLE Is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine going to regret setting a standard for when he will lift coronavirus orders? Things are getting farther and farther away, Jane Cahoon. What's the latest? Yeah, you remember on March 4th, you guys, I'm sure you do, when when DeWine said he was going to lift all the health orders if we could get to this rate of 50 cases per 100,000 people over a two-week time period. And when he made that announcement, we were up at 178.5, but we had sharply decreased. And so we were headed in the right direction. And then the next week, we we dipped to like 143.8. Well, since then, the, the three weeks in a row, we've, we've gone up. And today, according to Rich Exner's projection, we're going to be close to 183.7 cases per 100,000. So we have, we have gone way backwards on this. So you know, it's, what was it's it when he announced it? This is the first time we've gone was, higher, right? Yes. I, sorry. I said that, but maybe okay, you weren't I missed listening. It, <laughs> it was 178.5. And so now we're above where we were when he made the announcement. Yes. Rich is predicting 183.7 or thereabouts. He's been off by maybe a couple of decimal points. But I, I just think it's interesting because he he kind of drew this line in the sand. And then we asked him recently, are you going to change this metric? You know, we're good. that was when we had, I think, two weeks in a row going backwards. And he was like, no, no, I'm, I'm following the science here. And then, you know, last Monday, he kind of loosened up some of those restrictions. Well, he completely lifted the mass gathering. Order yeah. So into a, a crux. So I just wonder with I mean the more states are lifting their orders which is weird because Michigan is on fire with coronavirus cases whether he will feel the pressure to say I know I set the standard but w- once we get to x percent of Ohio vaccinated that's going to be my new standard because I didn't realize how fast we were going we're at one of 3 right now when we get to 1 or 6 out of 10 or whatever he wants to pick we'll do it we'll we'll get we'll lift the orders because this metric isn't helping them. <laughs> right. It's, uh, you know, we've talked about this race between getting people vaccinated and then these more contagious variants that are spreading out there. And that's what's happening in Michigan right on our doorstep. And it's so scary. So, but Ohio, I don't want to say we're losing that race. But, you know, yesterday we had, I think, over 2,000 
cases again. And it's like, it's, it's, it's not a, feeling like we're staying ahead of this as fast as we're going. It's neck and neck. I mean, me, people are getting vaccinated in large numbers and you, you can see it. I was at the Wolstein Center yesterday. There were probably twice as many people as the last time I was there, which is odd because it's supposed to be the second shot. But I wonder if they've opened up some first shot possibilities. That's the key. If you get people vaccinated quickly, you can keep it at bay. And, and DeWine has done a much better job in the latter half of the vaccinations at doing that compared to some other states. It's still confusing and people have to go through a weird process to get it, but they're getting it. I mean, every time you talk to somebody, they're, they're getting their second shot or they're scheduled and they're ready to go. Whereas in Michigan, I don't think that's the case at all. They're having a hard time vaccinating people. Right. But There's we pressure. do have vaccine hesitancy here. And, you know, our legislature doesn't help that. I think they, they proposed some law the other day about, you know, protecting people from, you know, allowing them to decline a vaccine, which they're already allowed to decline a vaccine. But, you know, there's a lot of that kind of thing going on, too, which doesn't doesn't help get people vaccinated. No, but that's not going to change. I mean, if people decide they're not going to get the vaccine, they're never going to get the vaccine. And so what the rest of us have to do precautions for the rest of time to protect people that refuse to protect themselves. I don't know. I think DeWine could say, set a standard that that once we get here, I'm ready to move on. And if you don't want to get the vaccine, that's a risk you're taking. You know, the problem is, is if enough people don't get the vaccine, we don't get herd immunity and it it threatens everybody with mutations. It's just he's in a jam because I think he thought when he announced that metric that we would get there. Yeah, (laughs) we were going down, you know, and it looked like, oh, this is great. And then next week we did go down. And as I said, the last three up, up, up. Yeah, now we're higher than we were. Okay, it's this week in the CLE. The Wolstein Center Coronavirus Vaccine Clinic has been a rare and repeated source of good news during the pandemic. And Layla, you found out some things that make it even better news, especially for immigrants who might not have the necessary papers to be in this country. I want to point out, I've gotten my vaccinations there, so I have a conflict of interest in talking about it. (laughs) I do think they did a great job. Well, I, actually, I should disclose, I also got my vaccination there. I, I have my friends, the vaccine queens, to thank for bringing this to my attention. They took a two-hour tour of the facility a week or two ago, and they learned that among all the wonderful things about the place is the fact that U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, better known as ICE, are not allowed to execute warrants or detain undocumented immigrants anywhere near the facility. And this is true for all of the federal mass vaccination clinics. It's the policy of the Homeland Security Office that vaccinating as many people as possible is such an important public health goal that nothing should stand in the way of every person getting their shot, regardless of immigration status. And while Homeland Security had stated this policy news release back in February, no one in the Cleveland area had really reported it or made that clear. And frankly, it's completely reasonable that an undocumented immigrant would feel pretty intimidated by the heavy military and police presence at the Wolstein Center. I felt it was necessary for us to do this public service to make that policy clear. And public health officials in our state agreed. In addition to to that, to that policy, I also discovered just how thoughtfully designed the whole operation is with this, you know, eye toward removing barriers that would prevent people from going there. They, They offer interpreters who speak I don't know, about a dozen languages and technology that can interpret as many as 275 other languages. 
they have these quiet spaces for people who have sensory issues or on the autism spectrum and private rooms for people who require modesty for religious reasons, you know, before they bare their shoulder for the shots. And of course, they use that stationary patient model, which we've reported about, which means that they kind of plunk you in a chair and the services come to you instead of making you roam around the facility and stand in a bunch of lines at different stations. It's just first rate. (laughs) The only thing that could make the experience better, I think, is maybe like confetti and balloons. (laughs) I, I I was surprised both times. I had the needle in my arm not 60 seconds after I took my seat. They asked the questions. They hit you with the shot. I mean, you're in and out. Parking is free. When you called to, to ask me if we knew about the ice thing, and I was completely oblivious to it, it got me thinking that this is something that, as a public service, you'd want to announce if you were a government leader. But I just can't see Mike DeWine, given all of the controversy that's going on at the border as the Republicans try to create a wedge issue there saying, hey, by the way, we will not be arresting anybody on immigration issues if they come to get the shot. Because if he does that, he's going to raise his hand and take a lot of flack for all the people that are trying to make immigration an issue. And it's too bad, because if they would have announced that on the very first day that they announced this was coming, I think you had to have more people sign up. But right. right. You know, if I were if I were in the country without the, the proper papers, if I could be arrested and deported. The last place I was going to go down there is, uh, you know, what, how many did we say? How many hundreds of guardsmen and military people right, and police right. everywhere? Yeah, uh, it's very just, intimidating. And they check your name. I mean, uh, you, you go in, they check, make sure you you are who you say you are. So your suspicion would be they're going to lock me up. So I'm right, glad you right. got this out there. I hope I hope in the last two weeks when they're doing the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, people will register who might have been afraid. Yeah, you know, even at, during a coronavirus briefing a few weeks ago, there was a reporter who asked DeWine, you know, what do you have to say to undocumented immigrants who might be feeling uncomfortable coming forward to get their vaccine? And he did not mention that, hey, if you go to one of our mass vaccination clinics, you have nothing to fear. They are not allowed to detain you. There's no ICE presence. He just said, we would love to vaccinate you. We want to vaccinate everyone. It's good for your family. It's good for your community. He just kind of played that card. He should have been stronger on that. I agree. Is it true in the state-run mass vaccination clinics or just the federal, the single federal one that we have at the Wolf? Well, that's a good point. I mean, I I, I guess that's true. Yeah, I I don't know. That's a good follow-up. They might arrest people at other places. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How is a Southern Ohio conservative trying to use election laws to pry loose more information about how Larry Householder used dark money to support sycophants who would be loyal to him in the Ohio State House? Jane Cahoon, this is a little bit of a technically complex story. You can get into the weeds, but it's interesting because it could reveal some more information. Yeah, I'll try not to be too technical here, but this is a case filed with the Ohio Elections Commission by a guy named Chris Hicks. He hopes to uncover information about campaign spending for a guy named Alan Freeman, a township trustee from Claremont County in southwest Ohio, who finished last in May 2020 in this really hotly contested three-candidate Republican primary for an Ohio House seat. And he was backed by now-disgraced former House Speaker Larry Householder. He reported spending just $14,000 on his campaign even though public records showed his campaign bought more than $100,000 worth of TV ads. And they they really flooded the airwaves during this campaign. 
although it didn't help him, he didn't win. So as we know, an indictment against Householder accuses him of using this anonymous dark money that, you know, helped him and his allies get elected to the Ohio House and become speaker. That was a few years previous. But, you know, now now Householder faces this indictment. Obviously, he's pleaded not guilty. But a top aide of his, Jeff Longstreth, who controlled some of this dark money, has pleaded guilty, as has the dark money group that Longstreth ran. So, but back to this case, at an elections commission hearing in December, an attorney for Freeman, the candidate, said Freeman hadn't reported these ads because Longstreth, who was coordinating the spending, hadn't ever given him a bill and he he never got back to Freeman. So he didn't really. That's ridiculous, (laughs) right? Yeah, I didn't know how much it was, so I didn't report it. And it's $100,000. That is like one of the lamest excuses I've ever heard for not putting information on campaign finance forms. But go ahead. Yeah, his lawyer said they didn't really know the price of the ads or whether they were intended as a gift. And they didn't want to commit a violation by reporting something that was potentially inaccurate. So but. they committed a violation by not <laughs> reporting it at all. I'm sorry. This I'm just telling you what was said. Okay. So the Elections Commission has authorized this complaint that Hicks filed for a full hearing, which is makes it similar to a civil lawsuit. And now he's got the right to subpoena records and in some cases compel people to answer questions in, in writing. It's scheduled to be heard in July. It's going to be kind of similar to a court environment, including witnesses who will be testifying under oath. Hicks describes himself as a tenacious guy, and he's determined to get to the bottom of it. So we'll see what happens in July when this hearing happens. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What do we know about the big Rocky River teacher purge announced Wednesday with five teachers resigning and one retiring? Leila Tassi, this is uh, mystifying uh, the way that the district is releasing information without telling the story, because there's so much we don't know here. But what do we know? So the district launched an investigation after a video surfaced of teachers on what appeared to be like a Zoom call or something discussing what they believed might have been an inappropriate photo of a student that was in circulation among teachers. The investigation found that there was a photo of a student on a teacher's phone The student was fully clothed and the photo was taken in a classroom, according to the statement that the district put out. But the photo was deemed inappropriate because it violated school board policy. So all told, five faculty members were caught up in this. A sixth teacher was the subject of an investigation that was kind of triggered by this one. I think a student apparently contacted the district to notify them of past problems with this other teacher, some creepiness or what have you. The president of the teachers union also put out a statement in defense of the teachers who resigned. He pointed out that the photo was not inappropriate in nature, but it was taken to show that the student wasn't wearing a mask. He also said that the teachers were resigning because of this media firestorm and the public shaming, not because they did anything wrong. And he said everyone needs to just take a deep breath and keep the nature of this in perspective. The whole thing is just creepy. I. I watched that nine minute video of these two teachers talking and, you know, on one hand, they're talking about a colleague who told them that he had sent them an inappropriate photo of a student. And they're talking about how they blocked this guy on their phones so they can't receive his content anymore. But at the same time, 
They're also discussing how they would be in such trouble if they were implicated in this thing. And at one point, one of the guys says, well, that would be a terrible way to end a career with a walk of shame. And they didn't turn it in. Right. Like, I mean, that was that, that, the, that, the video showed a complete self-absorption. It was completely. never about the student. They actually disparaged the student. Yeah. talked about what she looked like. But yeah. she wasn't They're like, oh, student. yeah, she was but not it, much of a student, but she was she was a looker or whatever. Right. Which is so which those words should not issue from a teacher's mouth. They have children in their care and they should do nothing but but be in in their corner, helping them out. Never say bad things. But. But they never once talked about the right thing to do. They just talked about their own legal liability. They didn't turn in. They thought the teacher had sent them a hugely inappropriate photo. Right, uh, right. It turns out he didn't, but, but they believed he did, and they weren't going to turn him in. The other thing is, where, you, where they say, the union says, it wasn't an inappropriate photo. I would argue that teachers taking photos of any students to be shared with other teachers is inappropriate. That's, mm-hmm. You're not supposed to do that. But I also well, am. We're yeah. going to go at the district pretty hard on this because they're not being clear here what happened. You know, when when the Solon principal, the high school principal case ended, we got all the details. And it turned out that, you know, she had had an affair with a student shortly after the student graduated. And it was pretty bad stuff. And so everybody out in Solon does understand who this high school principal is and what her record is. The people at Rocky River don't know what happened here. The second case where some student hearing upon this investigation said, hey, I had a teacher do inappropriate things with me. That teacher is gone, but you don't know what that is. And, and if you're a parent who had a kid in that teacher's class, you want to know right, what he right. might have done to your kids. So we're going to go after every scrap of public record on this to tell this story. But shame on Rocky River for not being upfront about this. And, and the condemning the media uh, circus, you know, there's the, the, the citizens of Rocky River were rampant with discussion and speculation on this because the district has been secretive about it. You don't want to have speculation and, and wild rumors? Tell the damn truth. Come out and be open about what's going on. And they haven't here. Yeah, I yeah. agree. And I think it sounds like they need top to bottom uh, training for their faculty, too. This is just sounds like there's widespread, uh, you know, misunderstanding about about the relationship they're supposed to have with their students and uh, and also their their policies on on things like, you know, taking photos and and spreading that kind of media among each other. It's amazing. In both this case and the song case, we are talking about two school districts that regularly top the Ohio charts. And we have teachers or a principal in one case who are doing things that are just not acceptable. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How are some people in the legislature trying to make things right for children who need expensive hearing aids? Jane, the biggest surprise to me in this story is that the hearing aids have not been covered up to now. Why? Yeah, I guess they're considered cosmetic, which was a surprise to me. And it was also a surprise to the parents of a young girl who needed hearing aids. And this was the impetus for this recently introduced bill, which is called House Bill 198 or Madeline's Law. And so her parents brought this issue to the attention of State Representative Casey Weinstein from Hudson, a Democrat who's co-sponsoring this bill. It would require insurers to cover the cost of hearing aids up to $2,500 or $5,000 for both ears every 48 months for kids through age 21. And as I said, Madeline's parents were surprised when when uh, she needed 
hearing aids that this wasn't this wasn't covered. And, you know, they just made the point that they're developmentally necessary for a hearing impaired child to learn and to communicate. And and they couldn't understand why this was being treated like, you know, Botox or plastic surgery. And uh, luckily they they could pay for their kids' hearing aids, but it just broke their hearts that many families can't and they were foregoing them. Uh, they estimate that about 400 kids are born each year in Ohio who have some sort of hearing loss that needs to be addressed. And this can be progressive. So, you know, older children sometimes need them. And if there's no intervention, the, the costs just keep growing for special education that they need for these kids. So the supporters of this bill say that, you know, there, there are always concerns about creating any kind of new insurance mandate, but portion of the population that needs this, you know, is pretty small and it just should be done. It's the right I, thing to do. I'll bet that if you go back in time, the insurance company lobby or somebody set this up so it wouldn't be covered. It seems preposterous this wouldn't be covered. It's kids who desperately need it so that they can develop. But again, my biggest surprise was that this is a thing and hopefully the legislature will do the right thing. I can't and imagine this becoming a wedge issue. This is Leila Tassi. I want to jump in here. How I, I never understood why these aren't covered for adults. Well, that's true, too. I mean, that's a good, a good point. I think, you know, you can get coverage for them. Like if you're on Medicare and you choose a certain plan, there there is some coverage available, but it's all in, you know, what type of plan you choose. Oh, that's they're, a shame. They're so yeah. expensive, too. Yeah. And they yeah. have to be replaced because they take a take a beating. And. You know, even and even so, I still think the technology on them is lagging. They're not the highest quality audio devices. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. That'll do it. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Jane. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. We'll be back tomorrow to wrap up a week of news. <laughs>